Welcome back to Extra Innings, the Phillies podcast from the Philadelphia Inquirer. I'm Scott Lauber. I'm Bob Brookover. Oh. And I'm Matt Breen. And uh, guys, we're, we're recording this on Tuesday morning. Uh, and so the, the Philly season has been over now for, what, a week and two days. And I don't know how you guys feel about it, but it feels way longer than that. It just feels like way longer ago than than uh, than nine days ago that the Phillies season ended at Tropicana Field uh, in game 60 of the season. We're into the second round now of playoffs. The Phillies have um, made a change in their front office with general manager Matt Klintak stepping down. Uh, and really, let's be honest, I mean, um, stepping down, but really uh, stepping out because um, I, I don't I don't really think he's going to have a whole lot of influence in whatever position he he takes on. Uh, we've heard from John Middleton. We have not yet heard from Andy McPhail or Ned Rice, the new interim general manager. And guys, I guess we'll start off with this. Um, you know, what was your impression of the 20 or so minutes that we spent on Zoom with John Middleton on uh, Saturday? My biggest surprise was because when, when you read the statement, you know, Ned Rice is going to be the interim general manager, and we've seen interim general managers and in, interim managers. It's just a temporary holdover position. But then as John Middleton's talking, he says that Ned Rice might be the GM for an entire season. So it's not he's not really an interim GM if he's here for, you know, a calendar year. And it gets to the point, then what did they do? They, they swapped out Matt Klintak for his – his top guy, the guy that he's worked for, worked worked together with f- for five years in Philadelphia, four years in Baltimore, was his first hire in Philly. Very like-minded, same approach. So you changed the approach of Matt Klintak for the approach of Ned Rice. To me, I, if, if he's the GM for a year and Andy McFowl is the president, then you're, you're going forward with the same approach. I don't see what the point of this even was. Then uh, uh, among the the many things that bothered me about that news conference, uh, which unfortunately I wasn't able to be on because I was at a wedding, um, was the, the COVID excuse. I mean, I, I, yes, I, I believe very firmly in, in coronavirus and that it's a deadly virus, uh, but there are ways to, to interview your GM candidates. Uh, let, let's start with the fact that the, the managing partner has his own jet. So he can get in that jet anytime he wants and go see one of the, whatever candidates he wants. And, you know, let's make a list of candidates here. Um, interviews, you know, you can do your preliminary interviews through Zoom. I, you know, he said, well, that's not the best way to do things. But, you know, what? make a list of 10 candidates, uh, interview them on Zoom, narrow that list to five, and then five, three, whatever. And then go interview those people face to face. It didn't, you know, they were able to hire a manager. They had to pinpoint who they wanted to be the manager pretty quick. And I think this should be an extensive uh, GM search. I think they should, I think they should turn over, uh, you know, listen to a lot of opinions about baseball because one of the problems I think they had with Matt Klintak is they, they pigeonholed themselves into being mostly, almost pre- predominantly a analytics team. And it's time for, that to change some and to have more of a blend of analytics and old school baseball, which I think they have that in their manager already. Uh, so, you know, the, the fact that I, I don't believe it, a, that Ned Rice is going to be the, the GM for a long-term period, but B to even say it, I just, it seems silly. Uh, 
the seventy sixers hired a coach, right? They they did, and they got him on a private plane, and it sort of looked like a private plane to me that he got off of. You know, so yeah, so and I know it's not ideal, but it's not like they're if they're you know they're starting GM search today for say, and they have to interview people exclusively over Zoom. It's it's not like they're interviewing you know random people they find on Monster dot com just off the street. Like they're interviewing people that either either they already know or that they know someone that knows them in the baseball industry. So it's not it's not a cold call that you're getting on the phone with somebody and you're getting on Zoom and you don't even know them. Like I don't understand. It's not ideal. Obviously, you'd like to sit down at a table face to face, but if you're not comfortable doing that, I think you're able to hire somebody even in an important position like a general manager over zoom we've been using zoom now for since march most most of us i think it's it's pretty good for for you know what what they needed needed to do right now it's definitely possible yeah and, and, and like i said you don't have to you know once you get to your once you narrow it down you can you see face to face these guys and it, you know what i think there are a lot of good gm candidates out there right now i really do uh, so I think, you know, it's not the worst time in the world to it's a time to be taking advantage of that. There are so many good GM candidates out there. Yeah, no, I mean, I was thinking the exact same thing as as we were talking to, to Middleton, like, well, the Sixers just did this and there are ways to do it nowadays. And I think one of the things he was talking about was like once they make a hire, you know, it's hard to bring somebody in from the outside and then. You know, they have to get to work and sort of hit the ground running and they don't have the luxury of being in an office with everybody and, um, you know, being around all the new people that they're overseeing and, and all of that. So I think that's an element of this, too. But we're learning how to do all of this virtually, whether you've been somewhere for a long time or not. And a new general manager can come in and certainly um, have enough Zoom meetings or um, or do uh, any sort of work that he needs to do. I mean, is it ideal? No. But what is ideal right now? And there are, you know, they're, they're not alone. I mean, the Angels just fired Billy Epler. Uh, they're going to hire a new general manager, presumably, and it's somebody who's going to come in from the outside and have to get to know everyone by Zoom. So, you know, it's just the and if the Phillies are going to move forward. And, and I think that was really my number one question coming out of all of this was, okay, what's the way forward? Because, you know, Andy McPhail has got one year left on his contract and is probably going to retire or it sounds like he's going to retire at the end of next year. And if he's going to head up this search or if he's going to work with Ned Rice, that seems like a very short term fix. Even if it's a one year fix, it's a short term fix. So what's the way forward? Um, And it's hard to see the way forward with Andy McPhail in his current position for another year and Ned Rice in the interim position, it just feels like it would be kind of a wasted year. You know, a wasted year of Bryce Harper is going to be another year older. Aaron is going to be another year older. You're, this is the prime seasons of these guys. And if you're just kicking the can towards till next year, till when you hopefully you can sit down and interview a candidate in person, it's just you can't you can't afford to do that. You can't afford the wait. You you're paying Bryce Harper three hundred and thirty million dollars. You can't waste the prime of his career. The the other scary thing to me about the this, the news conference is John Middleton, billionaire John Middleton, sounded like he was crying poor a little bit. Not you know uh, that's that's obviously an exaggeration, but he he sound. I mean, and obviously there's there's we all know that there's been 
Um, letters sent out to employees offering buyouts in the hope that they don't have to lay off people. Uh, so, yes, sir. I mean, it sounds like he has serious financial concerns right now, which to me plays into more to the Ned Rice thing than anything else. That we don't oh, we don't want to go hire some super general. But that's like, you know, you invested all this money into trying to win. And now you're going to say, well, we can't pay a top notch general manager because of what's going on here. I, you know, I, it, I was left confused by that whole news conference in terms of what direction does John Middleton want to go right now? So somebody that I uh, know um, in, 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 uh, in baseball who I trust, um, I was talking to yesterday and he made a very good point, you know, a point that we shouldn't lose sight of, which is that the Phillies are not the only team that's being impacted by COVID-19. Um, you know, teams across baseball lost money this year and teams across baseball are going to have to change their budgets a little bit and how they operate a little bit. And, you know, so for the Phillies to talk about, you know, all these challenges that we're facing, they're not alone. They're one of 30 teams that have to deal with that. And I think it accentuates the need for a general manager who's creative and uh, and can improve the team in ways that go beyond just spending the owner's money. And let's let's face it, that's the way the Phillies have gotten better over the last few years is they've spent the owner's money. They've spent 700. What's the number, Matt? I think it's is it seven hundred million dollars? Yeah, a little bit north of seven hundred million. Yeah, in the last three off seasons. Yeah, I mean, so so um, they've spent a lot of the owners' money, and and that's how they've attempted to get better. Uh, I think now you, you you have to get creative. It 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 really sort of uh, puts a spotlight on teams like the Rays and the A's, um, who are who are good year in and year out with smaller budgets, uh, because they're good at evaluating talent and they're good at you know, dumpster diving and finding uh, other people's castaways and, and things like that. And, you know, not to sound too Gabe Kapler here, but finding marginal advantages that they can, um, that they can um, exploit and things like that, you know, and, and, you know, Ned, maybe Ned Rice has that in him, but, you know, as Matt Klintak's assistant, he was complicit in doing a lot of the same things, spending the owner's money and getting better that way. And that's not going to work now because I think we can assume the payroll is going to be lower next year. And it's tough to get better if that's your main way of, of trying to do it uh, when you can't spend the owner's money. I mean, if, but, and I but if, you, if you go back and look at the, the, the 08 Phillies are a perfect example. The value at the margins that, that Gabe talked about and I think that Matt wanted to achieve was, was one of their uh, failures as a combination is they didn't really get the value at the margins. But Jason Worth uh, and uh, Pat often gets credit for, for Shane Victorino, but that was a – an Ed Wade acquisition, um, but JC Romero and JC yeah. Romero, those guys, and you know, those Chad guys, Durbin. those guys are, you know, they, they, the core was there and, and, you know, though, but those guys helped get them to the finish line, you know, a Scott air at the, a, a, even a Joe Blanton is an underrated, you know, acquisition that they Straight needed. Deadline, to, yeah. Right. You know, um, so Jeff Jenkins, Pedro Feliz, all those things, those guys were, you know, without those guys, they don't get to the finish line. They're not the guys yeah. that are remember and celebrate it, but they're, that's what, that's the kind of thing they need right now. He was able to round out, you know, a roster. And that's what, that's what makes Pat Gillick an elite hall of fame general manager. And that's why it's so absurd that Matt Klintak was con- compared 
no disrespect to Mac Contact, but you, you can't compare people to Branch Rickey and the Pat Gillick until they, they, they prove that they are on that level. It's like saying, and, and John Middleton said, well, I, I was just saying he did something that those two never did. It's like, but if my boss compared me today to Shakespeare and then <laughs> fired me two years later, I'd want to know, like, well, why the heck did you compare me to Shakespeare two years ago? You hey. said Shakespeare never wrote this, but Matt Breen did, and now Matt Breen's getting reassigned to something else. You were so both overwriting hacks. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's like that's absurd <laughs> that that was that was three. You can't throw around those comments around about people, and and I know that this is back to the payroll situation. I know there's gonna there were no fans at the ballpark in 20, uh, 2020, 2021. Looks like now we see there might be some fans next season, but. MLB signed a $3.75 billion deal with TBS uh, last month. The Phillies still have a humongous TV contract with NBC Sports Philadelphia. There's still money in this industry. Baseball is not going broke because they played a season without fans. But it's another reason for the owners like they have in the last few off seasons to, to not spend in free agency, to drag free agency into spring training, as we've seen it the last three years. So now they even have a better reason, a more visible reason, because everybody saw empty seats. So now you can point to that, and it's just going to be another. And, and you have the CBA looming after next season. So even though there's still money in, in, the, in the industry, in the game, obviously with these TV contracts, we're still going to see another slow, drawn-out free agent process where the owners say we can't spend any money because we didn't have any fans. To me, this is a time – I mean, and um... – Middleton mentioned this, and he was right. It, they got they've got good guys in free agency. They, I mean, Zach Wheeler was a good sign in free agency. Uh, you know, Bryce Harper has been a good sign in free agency. This is a time maybe to take advantage of that if you have the wherewithal and, and money to do that. Because you know, if you think in a more long term view, uh, what adds value to a franchise more than anything? A new stadiums obviously do. But nothing has value more than winning, you know. When you're a winning brand, uh, that's what people, that's what people want. And you know, the, the Phillies, if they could become that, would add value in five years when hopefully we come out of all the crazy world we're in right now, uh, and and baseball maybe is a, a little more stable than it is now too. Uh, and fans are back in the seats. You know, it's it's a it's a way to think long-term rather than short-term. Yeah, I mean, I look at their, their roster, and I look at, um, you know, specifically the last three years of, of moves made by Matt Klintak, and I see a team that's, you know, quite frankly, it's a team that's top-heavy, a roster that's top-heavy. I think any team in baseball would take the Phillies' top, what, five guys? You know, Bryce Harper, Aaron Nola, Zach Wheeler, JT Realmuto, if he stays, um, you know, uh, even Reese Hoskins, Alec Bohms, um, Alec Bohms, sign me up. I'll take those guys. But, you know, players, you know, if we were to rank them, if we were ranked, if we were ranking the players on the 40 man roster, one through 40, you know, numbers 10 through 40, I don't think I'd take that group. And, and I think that's what has kept the Phillies has held them back. They lack depth. They lack, um, they, they just lack talent 10 through 40. And, um, and, and that's the separator. Um, and so, you know, I think for whoever comes in next, the job is to 
make the organization better and deeper in spots 10 through 40 on the 40 man roster. And, and that's, that's difficult. And then it's made more difficult by the fact that Matt, like you said, you know, you've got prime age stars right now in Harper and Nola specifically, um, you know, uh, who, who are their best years are right now. So your window to win is now and you're, you're probably not ready to win yet or not as ready as you thought you were. So that's going to be the challenge is making the rest of the roster better and lining it up so that you can do this now and take advantage of those guys before it's too late. Let me, let me, let me play devil's advocate here a little bit though. If um, let's say they had the, the, the 10th best bullpen or, or even 15th best bullpen instead of the, the absolute far and away worse bullpen this year. Are they, at least in a two-game series, are they possibly in the LBS? How good are they with a, a much better bullpen? They're a lot better. They're in the playoffs for sure, and that's a little bit of what I mean. Uh, you know, most of those bullpen guys are, you know, in spots 10 through 40 on your roster. I mean, they're not – that's not – there aren't 30 guys in your bullpen, but, you know, I'd say maybe other than, like, maybe Hector Neris, the rest of them are in that grouping, and they're just not good enough. You know, so um, – you know, a top-heavy roster is really not going to be heavy on relievers normally, and and that's what I mean by that. I just I don't think that they were good in enough areas, and the bullpen was an area that they were obviously just horrible in. I mean, historically awful in, uh, and it and it cost them. And my but my, 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 my question day, becomes though: Can you build a bullpen in a year? And I I think you can. Um, yeah, I think you can. I think you can. I mean, Pat Gillick has done it. Um, you know, I just didn't talk to him last week for a story I wrote about bullpen building and things like that. I mean, he talked about 1984, in Tor- and I know we're talking about uh, a long time ago now, but 1984 in Toronto, and the Blue Jays had, you know, one of the two or three worst bullpens in the league that year. And then, and he realized that, and he fixed the mistake. And in 1985, they had one of the best. So right. I-, I do think that's one area of your team that you can turn around quickly, but you got to be good and you got to be smart and you've got to understand how to find value in places. Uh, that um, that other teams aren't looking. I agree. And I think we knew, you know, you can go back to the first podcast we recorded right before opening day, and we, we talked about the bullpen and, and you know, how much of a problem that was going to be and how hard it was just to figure out who was even going to be in the bullpen when you looked at the summer camp roster. So it's not like it came out of nowhere that the bullpen was bad. It's not like revisionist history that now we're saying, man, they should have built a better bullpen. We've been saying it since spring training in Clearwater, said it again in the summer, and now we're saying it now. And I think Brian Price knew it. The pitching coach knew it. I mean, he's the one who talked about, you know, needing needing some people to emerge uh, who they don't expect and lightning in a bottle and things like that. And it's not what you want to hear um, seven days away from the start of your season when you've got to fill out an 11-man bullpen and you barely get to five or six and then you're sort of – you're sort of looking for people to emerge after that. So, uh, I mean, they knew it. Uh, Girardi knew it and Price knew it. And I'm not sure how Matt Klintak didn't know it. Uh, maybe he did. And it was just too late at that point. But, um, you know, they, they went into the season with this, with this bullpen that was a glaring weakness. And it was even worse than we thought it would be. Oof. It was all time worse. Well, 1930, which I remember 1930. It was really bad that year. It was really, really, really bad. <laughs> Um, well, but looking, talk, you talk, hold on real quick about build, yeah. building a bullpen in a year. If you look ahead to like what they have internally, 
Connor Brogdon, I think, is in the bullpen next season. Sure, Jojo yeah. Romero would be in the bullpen. Um, Hector Neris, which is still going to be around. I, I don't, and that's maybe is that it? Like, is that all the keepers from this team from this bullpen? Yeah, um, I, I admit to having a little bias, but I wouldn't mind bringing David Phelps back because bullpen guys are volatile. Now, I don't know if they'll bring him back. At, I don't think they will at 4.5 million. But if I could get him to come back at like two million, I I, I might have him back. Yeah, um, he's got a, he has a track record, right? Um, you know, so and there are some younger guys. You know, I don't know what uh, you wish. You wish Sir Anthony had pulled a Reese Hoskins and got the surgery right away, which he didn't. Um, but you, you you can hope on something like that, but you can't count on something like that. But no. if it, you know. If he does, you know, but at least, you know, the guys you just named, you have a little bit of a, a little bit of a foundation there. You know, I, I, Adam Morgan's still certainly under team control. I bring him back because he's a, he's one of those guys, a typical bullpen guy who could have a great year one year uh, and a horrible year the next. So I'm yeah, least, you're right. I forgot about I'm, him, but you're I'm, right. I'm, I'm at least looking at him, you know, guys like that. Uh, the more the better the more you get in camp the better i think uh and if i you... could see i could see resigning jose alvarez but at a, at a more of a uh uh team friendly deal or something like that i mean of course his injury wasn't wasn't an arm injury so you'd expect he'll come back and be able to pitch um but you know he was a guy who was very good for them the last year he, plus yeah, um, he was. you know and 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 so yeah, I mean, there are some pieces there. And, and look, we're all going to talk once free agency starts about who they should target and, and who they should go out and get. And, you know, they're going to be the usual names, you know, the usual kind of like marquee reliever names. This year it'll be like Alex Colomay and Liam Hendricks. And, you know, I think those two guys would probably be at the head of the class. Uh, I took a look at it the other day, and there are some other uh, reliever names on there who people know. But it's going to be finding the guys that are undervalued. It's going to be like finding the J.C. Romero, you know. Who's the guy who gets uh, non-tendered um, somewhere this year? And the Phillies recognize, oh, this guy's got a really good, you know, slider. And maybe we can get him to throw it more. And by throwing it more, he's going to be more effective, you know. Like, that's the kind of a guy that the Rays get all the time. You know, they, they find those guys and then they turn them into something. You know, the, the, another, like another team's trash. The, and, the, one of the when you finish this, when the Phillies finished out with uh, the Rays and they, the Curtis, uh, who had yeah. been who had been in Lehigh Valley the year before, and I think they said he had a twelve ERA. Uh, right. I don't. Even, Rays, I don't. I honestly, I covered the team. Don't remember him, uh, but the Rays got him and made him into an effective reliever for him. He was only right, with the Phillies for like something. maybe a month. Like they signed him in, the, in during the season, and then they. Caught him right. during the season too. Right, I absolutely you know, and, forgot and, about him. Though. Same, so did I. And that guy was there, and 20, probably twenty nine other teams didn't see what the Rays did, and the Rays saw something, and they not only saw it and identified it, but then they, they mod, they, they, so it was a scouting victory, but then it was also a player development victory because whatever they saw, they were able to implement and have him do, and and so the Phillies need more of those victories and they're not transactions that we're going to write about at the time because you know they're going to be they're going to be dot 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 sort of transactions you know at the end of a story but they're going to be signings that we look back on and we go 
you know, that was that was as satisfying for the front office as going and spending a bunch of money on a, on a big time free agent. In fact, it's more satisfying. And those are the kind of ones kind of moves that they need to make. Should we uh, talk about candidates? Who we think yeah, should be candidates? You know, uh, let's let's talk about candidates and let's also talk about the way forward. And, you know, w- what do they do? Because I feel like before we identify GM candidates, we have to kind of figure out what sort of model they're going to use. You know, are they going to hire a GM and be done with it? Or are they going to hire a president of baseball operations and then a GM? Um, where does Andy McPhail fit in all of this? Where does Ned Rice fit in all of this? Um, you know, to me, McPhail and Rice are kind of together, right? Like if, if Andy's going to be here and he's going to have a little bit more of a say in baseball ops, then there's a better chance that Ned Rice is interim GM for a year. If they can get Andy McPhail to either step aside or uh, if he remains more involved in the business end than the baseball end for the next year, then you need a, a, a head of baseball operations, I think, to come in. So what do you think the model is going to look like? And then we can talk about, you know, who you think they should bring in. Uh, uh, to me, I, I, I tear it apart and, you know, um, I, the team president, I, I don't, I've never been able to define exactly what Andy McPhail does in terms of the baseball ops part of it. How involved is he? You know, he's, he's, we, we meet with him twice a year. This year we didn't even meet with him twice a year. We didn't meet with him after spring training. Uh, you know, he has this list of things that he says he saw and, but to me, I just think you, you need to move on from what you have right here. Uh, if you want to hire another team president to run baseball operations, that's, I mean, to run uh, the business side of things, that's fine. Uh, but bring in a general manager and let him be your baseball ops guy. Uh, I know other teams have done it differently, whatever you want to call him, but, you know, have him be in charge and whoever he wants to have directly below him, whatever titles you want to give him. But, uh, you know, I don't care what the, the names in front of the, I think, Baseball's given too many titles out in the last 10, 15 years. Uh, but I want a new voice in here. I really do. That has a that has a blend of analytics and old school because I think that's what you have with your manager now. Uh, I think he is a blend of that. And I think you need a general manager on that same page with him. I think, I think we're going to have to wait. Uh, I think Ned Rice is going to be the GM through next season. Um, I think Andy McPhail is going to be allowed to ride out the last year of his contract as the team president and to probably retire and, you know, end his MLB career on his own terms instead of being removed from his, from his probably his final job. And I think that that's just what's going to happen. I don't, I don't think that's what should happen. I think the Phillies should obviously get somebody new ASAP to run the baseball operations. Um, but I just, I just, for after that press conference, listening to John Middleton, that's that's the opinion that, that I walked away with. That it's this is the status quo for another year. I think what Middleton would like to have happen um, is, I, I think he would like to have somebody come in and run baseball operations. I, I don't think he wants that to be Andy McPhail because he knows it's not going to be Andy McPhail for the long term. You know, I mean, he made a point of saying he has one year left on his contract. They have talked about what 
Philly, the Phillies post Andy McPhail might look like. Um, you know, how do you plan for uh, 2021 and beyond with a essentially lame duck team president? So I wonder if you go the Red Sox model from a few years back when when Larry Lucchino stepped aside, they essentially had a uh, Sam Kennedy ran the business side and they hired Dave Dombrowski to run the baseball side. They were basically at the same level, more or less. Uh, but there was a distinct delineation there. And, you know, maybe you can let Andy McPhail continue for another year running the business side of things and doing whatever it is he does with that. And then you hire somebody to to run the baseball side and to do it next year and beyond. So, you know, if you're going to do that, then, you know, maybe there are some bigger uh, uh, names in play. I mean, we know that John Middleton likes people who have won in the past. You know, he made a point of talking about Andy McPhail's two World Series rings which are both older than, than Breen, I think. <laughs> no, nah, only one and, of them is. Come on. I'm not that young. Oh, uh, I knew at least I knew at I'm least one of them. I was born in 92. Was. I was 88. Okay. Okay. Uh, so you don't really remember that first Twins World Series team, nah. is my point. Nah. And so maybe it's Brian Sabian comes in and runs baseball ops, or maybe it's Jim Hendry comes in and runs baseball ops, or, you know, somebody who's, who's, um, who's won before or who has a history of success that would appeal to Middleton in the same way that, that Pat Gillick does, that Terry Ryan does, that Andy McPhail did. Uh, and then, um, and then that person then hires a, a younger uh, general manager like a JJ Piccolo, Bob, who you wrote about today, or, um, or a Billy Owens from Oakland or, a, you know, uh, in, maybe in an ideal world, you get Jim Hendry and then he pulls Tim Naring in and you have kind of a mini Yankees, operation going on here with Brian Barber running your scouting. So I think that's the model they should follow. I don't know if it's the one they will follow. How about Theo Epstein? Uh, Status quo this season, Theo 2022. I'd rather see – you know, I wrote about J.J. Piccolo today. I, I would love to see him be the next GM and, and, and run things. Uh, I'm, I'm fine. You know, I, I like the idea that Scott just put forward, too, of, of a model of a, of a Henry Nairing. Uh, you know, whenever you're whenever you're getting uh, minds from the Yankees, I think you're doing a good thing. Uh, and, I, you know, to me, the Phillies in many ways, you know, maybe the only other team and they're, and they're – but they're – two market team, but maybe the only other team in the national league that compares to the Phillies in terms of, uh, um, finances are, are the Cubs and Dodgers, you know, and, and, and Mets, I guess too, although the Mets are a mess, have been a mess for a long time, uh, maybe get straightened out now with new ownership, but to, to have a Yankees model, WWNYY, D, it's never a bad idea to me. Uh, you know, I, there's, there's a reason they have all those World Series. That's not a bad model, but, I, you know, I do love the idea. I think J.J. Piccolo has paid his dues. He's been through the Braves organization. He's been mentored by Mike Arbuckle. Uh, you know, Mike Arbuckle was, was really good at the, the value at the margins in terms of um, – Drafting people, you know, a, a Ryan Matson uh, comes to mind right away. A, a Ryan Howard, for that matter, he was a fifth round pick. Um, so I, I just, 
but I just I think there are a lot of good candidates out there. The Phillies should you know they should not let this time go and say that hey we're just going to sit status quo for a year. That would that to me would be the worst possible thing they could do. I agree with that, especially because McPhail's probably done at the end of next year, and so what are you going to start from? You're going to start this process all over again a year from now, like unless they unless they go the way that they went essentially when when McPhail took over, which was he came in in the middle of the season and kind of kind of um, surveyed the scene. But who are you going to get in the middle of the season? I mean, Andy McPhail hadn't been in baseball for three years. You're going to go find you know whoever's sitting in Andy McPhail's shoes right now and have them come in in June and survey the scene. The Phillies are not at that place in their timeline for contending. They're not at that place, um, period, uh, that they were back in 2015 to be that patient. So I, I think you have to address the future right now and you've got to you've got to figure out how the front office hierarchy is going to look and you know it's not going to be McPhail and Ned Rice beyond 2021 because McPhail's not going to be here I don't think it doesn't sound like and and so what are you doing if if you go forward with that for another year you're just kicking the can down the road with a team that's you know that's got stars that are ready to win now it just it just wouldn't make a whole lot of sense so so let's I, I guess we can end it by talking a little bit about uh, players, right? Because um, the Phillies have a lot of work to do just beyond filling out their front office and figuring out what their front office is going to look like. They've got to decide, will they re-sign JT Real Muto? Will they re-sign Didi Gregorius? Will they, um, will they add free agents? What will they do? And we know that their, their payroll was pushing right up against the luxury tax this year. It'll come in, I think, just a shade under $208 million, like 207.6 or something like that is one of the estimates that I saw. And if they're going to be laying people off and offering buyouts and cutting back, um, I think it's probably a safe assumption that payroll's not going to be at the same level that it was. I don't know how much they'll roll it back, but they'll probably have to roll it back a bit. Um, so we don't know yet how much money they're going to have to spend and what they're going to be able to do. But um, I, I guess if you had to handicap it now, um, you know, uh, Real Muto, DD, uh, does does one come back? Do both come back? Do neither come back? I think one comes back. Then you think it's JT? <laughs> I still think JT comes back. I mean, I'm not going to bet my life on that because there's it's like a, it's almost a toss up at this point, which is crazy to think because you know a couple months ago I would say it was almost automatic. Um, but I would say that's a toss up. But I, I think there's going to be so much pressure on John Middleton to make that happen that they're going to have, they're going to have to make it happen. I, go ahead. I agree. And I think too, that, um, you know, there are ways to get around losing DD Gregorius. Uh, he's a good player and he had a, he had a really good year and you can make a case that from game one to game 60, he was the Phillies most consistent player. Certainly their most consistent hitter from beginning to end. But, you know, you could always slide Segura back to short for a year uh, while Bryson Stott continues to develop and and hope that Scott Kingery is a better second baseman all around than he was this year. And so there are ways to get a, a, around not having Gregorius. How do you replace JT Real Muto? You certainly can't replace him from within. Andrew Knapp had a nice year, but um, he's he's not he's he's probably not a uh, he's certainly not a hundred game a year catcher. And even if he was. Who's backing him up? Uh, organizational depth at catcher is not one of their strong suits. So um, 
you know, you're going to, you, you'd end up going out and getting a, a catcher on the market. Who's nowhere near as good as real Muto. And um, that, you know, so I'm not really sure what, what point, what, what the point of that would be. So I just think from an important standpoint, he's got to be the priority um, over Gregorius and, and, and they can figure the rest of it See, out after that. I do think you could survive without, uh, to me, JT Ramuto has got to be your top thing, but I think if he, if he leaves, I think um, you can survive if you take um, some of that money and, and go get a free agent who's uh, at a different position that you, outfield would be the perfect example. Not necessarily a free agent, but anybody who's available who's a who's a top-notch player. Now, the, the problem becomes, I think, is that I'm not sure that player is out there. If you can replace his offense, um, you know, Go yes, to George or, Springer, but he's going to cost right, you a lot of money a, too. A Marcel or Azuna, uh, outfield wise, has had a great year, um, comeback year. Um, I think you can survive that way offensively. Um, you know, I, 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 I still think that he has to be a priority, but I think you can survive if you go do other things. That the question becomes: Are the Phillies going to be able be willing? to do other things if they, you know, are they going to be willing to spend the money they didn't spend on JT Ramuto or DJ Gregorius to upgrade in other areas if they, you know, A, a or B, you know, if they lose one of those guys. Um, and I, I don't know the answer to that question, you know, whether they will or not. Uh, but, you know, I, like, I, and it was this very small sampling, but from a defensive standpoint, I thought Raphael Marchand was ready to play in the big leagues right now. I mean, I, I really did. And if you combine him and that for 80 games each, you could get through that way. If you could, but now you got to replace that offense that you're losing from JT somewhere else. Um, and I don't, I don't think that's ideal, but I think you could survive that way. Yeah. I think it's got to be, bring back real Muto and then really, really go to work on the bottom half of your roster, you know, really, uh, really make it better. A bunch of mid-level signings, a bunch of under the radar signings and, um, you know, force us to learn a little bit about some, some talent that's out there that we don't know about, you know, and, and, and really go to work on the bottom of your roster and make yourself a deeper team and a deeper organization. And I'd go to, I'd go to, I'd go into another season with, you know, with the same top five guys, you know, Harper, Nola, Wheeler, Real Muto, uh, and, and uh, you know, and uh, Alec Bohm, a full season of Alec Bohm and Andrew McCutcheon in left field. I, I would take that group and just really go to work on the rest of your roster, make it better, and, and take your chances with that. Because I, I think this team was – I think, Bob, you're right. I think this team was a was a average bullpen away from being – a really a, a kind of a dangerous team in the postseason, and uh, you know you replace you replace eight of those relievers with better relievers, and maybe it's a different Absolutely. story. It's going to be a fun off season. We'll have plenty to talk about. Yeah. It's going to be an off season. <laughs> I hope. I, I hope it's not so, as long as the yeah, last it'll be. One. <laughs> I think it might be. Well, it, it might it would be. have to go into the end of um, July to be that. So I don't not think not as long, but I'm well. But we'll save that for later. Save that for later. We we have plenty of time to talk about the Phillies between now and their next game. We do. 
So exactly. And, and so there's going to be plenty to talk about, plenty to write about. And we hope you'll read it in the pages of the Philadelphia Inquirer and at Inquirer.com. So for Matt Breen and Bob Brookover, I'm Scott Lauber. Until next time, thanks for listening.